partner of Parallel Music Publishing and board member of the Nashville Association of Independent Music Publishers. Thanks for listening to the Nashville Upcast. of the Nashville Pubcast, we have hit songwriter Josh Osborne, partner at Smack Songs. Josh tells us how his journey with the struggles and successes has prepared him for his role as a publisher. Well, well, we'll jump off, man. I'll let you go ahead and crank it up. Josh, give us a little bit about yourself. All right, I'm uh, originally from a little town in Kentucky called Burgey. I moved to Nashville in 1998. I um, floated around in several unsuccessful publishing deals. I, uh, it's kind of a theme with a lot yes, of us. Yeah. I think that's right. I uh, finally started having success in uh, 2010. I signed at a company called Black River and started to have some songs recorded. And uh, around that same time, actually a little bit before 2010, probably 2008, I met Shane McAnally. The two of us started writing songs together a lot, became really close, and um, we always had this dream to work together, and uh, he started a company called Smack, and uh, when my deal at Black River was up, he gave me the opportunity to come over and be a partner, and uh, we worked on so many things together, it was kind of a cool opportunity for us to be under the same roof and, and work on a lot of these same projects, so that's how I ended up over at Smack. That's a great bio, by the way. That was that was nailed in and dialed in perfectly. Uh, one of the things I love to ask uh, you guys is, is writer publishers, and obviously you thought about it because you and Shane probably probably came up in the writer room. We discussed like what was kind of your motivation to really want to get into the publishing side because that's a whole different dynamic you're involving sure. in your creative life. Well, I think um, from the Smack perspective, I think what happened with Shane was he was having a little bit of success. He had a song with Leon Womack called "Last Call." And it was at a really, uh, really difficult time in the music business. And so I don't think he could get a publishing deal. And so he and his partner, Michael, um, just said, well, let's just publish ourselves. And I think it got to the point that it never made sense for him to sign a publishing deal. So he just sort of, necessity is the mother of invention. So I think he ended up building this company just to sort of have a place to house his his songs and to, you know, he had a creative team in place with Robin Palmer and they did a, a deal with Cobalt, just sort of doing the admin on their songs and things. And it just kept growing because Shane's career kept growing. And we had always talked, like I said, we'd been friends for years. We always talked about the magic in the old days of like the Brill Building, where you would have all of these great songwriters that would go into the same building with Carol King and, you know, all these different amazing songwriters. And um, we always thought that was the dream, was to have a situation like that. And so I think Shane was finally had enough success that he was able to build a company like that. And then it was a no-brainer for me when I was offered a chance to be a part of it because that was kind of, as cliche as it sounds, that's kind of our dream. It's great to see success stories, especially, you know, y'all's is pretty unique. You had to group with you and Brandy and Matt Jenkins and and Shane, and you guys were just doing your thing, and the thing caught on fire, which is awesome about this town. Absolutely. Do you look at your co-writes differently, approach them differently than uh, as you did when you were younger, just probably a little more reckless, just write with everybody? Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that, um, that comes with just having some success as a songwriter. I think that happens naturally. What I have found is being a part of a company now, like being a publisher was never necessarily a dream of mine other than getting to be involved in a company like with Smack. Um, But now getting to be on the other side of it, 
you almost find like at times you find more joy in like some of our younger writers having success and they're getting that first cut or they're having their first number one hit or, or they're getting to write with somebody that's one of their heroes and they're like, Oh, I finally got a day with this because you in a sense get to relive all of that again, because some of that, once you start having success, it does become a little bit more workmanlike. It is a little more like there are people that work on your calendar. There are people that, you know, set your schedule. There are people that make sure you're in the right room on the right day. And that's amazing. And like, I love, I love to be excited every day. I look at my calendar and go, I'm writing with people today that I love, but to get to experience that now to see like what some of our young writers are going through. And, and we, we do a thing at smack that I love that we started uh, about a year and a half ago where we do a, a Monday morning meeting and Shane and I will sit down with one of the young writers and just kind of pick their brains. Like, who are you happy that you're writing with? How do you feel about the things you're writing? What can we do to make things better for you? And I love getting to do that because we sit in those rooms and I can literally say to these young writers, I've been there. I know exactly what you're dealing with. Hang in there. You're doing it. Don't, don't change what you're doing. Just keep doing it. Do it with more passion and do it with more belief because that's the only way out. And so I think even though being a publisher was never necessarily a thing that I thought, necessarily a vision I saw for myself, it is something that I'm really enjoying and getting to, I don't know, just be a part of it. It's sort of like a different part of being a songwriter. When you guys are looking at writers, is there a thing that makes you decide, that's it, I need to sign this guy? I think girl, there's, um, I will tell you this, uh, at Smack, again, it, it, it lends itself to being a lot of trust. Um, Robin Palmer has great ears for young writers. Um, Matt McGinn was somebody that she very much has championed from the beginning. Uh, and then Lee Crable as well. Uh, so they actually bring a lot of people in and go, hey, this is somebody we found. And then I think a lot of times it ends up just kind of being a gut thing. Like you kind of hear the music and go, you know, there's been a couple of people that have maybe gone on to have some success, but we just didn't think they were the right fit necessarily. Like it was like, yeah, this is cool. I don't know if it fits here, you know, um, because, you know, obviously we are, we're looking for things that are maybe a little bit more unique, a little bit different. Um, you know, you know, so Walker Hayes, things like that. We are kind of looking for things that have a, an identity, things that have a little bit of a uniqueness to them. Um, so I think it ends up being kind of a gut thing. I mean, I think it gets filtered so much because, you know, Shane writes every day, produces a lot. I write every day, produce some. I mean, so it's, we're not necessarily actively scouting for talent. So I think what happens is people bring things to Robin or Lee, people like that. And they, um, you know, will kind of bring it to us and go, hey, this is somebody we're interested in. What do you think? And uh, that probably 90% of our roster has come from that. That's great. Do you, do you ever take those opportunities to take them in a room before you sign them, see what they're like? Or do you listen? I just assume you listen to some of the music and make uh, We listen to a lot of the music. And then there have been times in the past uh, where maybe we set them up with a couple of younger writers, just kind of get an idea like, hey, what did you think about that? What was your experience? Because so much at our company, and it goes back to the gut thing, is personality as much as anything. Like, you know, we have a very solid stable of writers that everybody gets along. Everybody can hang out. Everybody can be in the kitchen and talking and everybody can be playing ping pong and stuff like that. And I think if somebody doesn't fit in with that, we're not interested. And, and that's, that's a tough thing because there are people that write hits and there are people that you know are great, but they just don't fit.
I always like to ask this is one of my favorite questions to ask everybody's come in because the music business changed so drastically. We kind of touched on some of that, especially in the last seven years. It's just been leaps and bounds, changes in town. Do you, as a guy that's I think has his ear to the ground, right, with the new writers and artists, do you see any trends coming up, see any changes, uh, anything you're super optimistic about or digging or even things you don't dig, but I try to keep things positive. Right. <laughs> positive oh, I'm actually, guy. I'm with you. I'm a very positive person. I do think for the first time, I'm a member of the NSAI board, and so I do think for the first time we actually are on the verge of real, real realistic change with like streaming uh, as far as publishing in the streaming world, I think it's an incremental advances thing. It's not going to be boom overnight. It's fixed, but I think we're getting to the world where it's all going to be streaming. I mean, that's, that is the world. It's not even the future. It's the present. And I think I want to look at the optimistic side of that because once streaming and Spotify and things like that become big in countries like India and China, it's basically like you're taking another United States of America, populace and giving them music again and it's like back in the old days you could write a song it's a hit song and and unless it was on a it was unless it was on an album that was in a record store that was in some town in india they'd never hear it and now that that wall's being taken down and so i think once the uh, financial side of it can be regulated because people if you want music and you want music to be created then you have to want the creators to be paid for it they have people have to be able to make a living at it you can't chase your whole life after the you know, the, the brass ring to find out that the brass ring's made of, you know, tinfoil, you know, so you have to, if we can get that figured out, which I, I personally, from an optimistic point of view, feel like that's happening. Um, I think it could be the greatest thing to ever happen in the music business. And I think within the next 10 years there, it could really cause another boom. It could cause like another revolution of music. And I think that stuff's all exciting. Now, how much that impacts the country music you know, market, I don't know, because we're already only like 10 or 15% of the streaming market in the United States anyway. So I don't know how that will translate as far as other countries and things, but I'm optimistic about that, that I feel like we are getting the streaming thing figured out. We've been behind the eight ball the whole time, but I do feel like it's now to use your terminology, turning the corner. Like I think they're starting to get it figured out. It's slow, but they're getting it there. And the other thing that I think has changed so much in music that I don't know if I think it's positive or negative. I think it depends on if you're in these camps or not. But we've become a very camp-driven town, which is, uh, I think L.A. is a little bit more known for this. But it's like, you know, this artist writes with this group of people and this artist writes with this group of people. And it wasn't always that way in Nashville. I think it's getting more that way. And I don't know if it's an L.A. influence or if it's just a natural influence. I think more of our artists right now than probably ever have, like consistently across the board. And so I think it's just the way the business is going. So I think that's, that's depends on which side, depends on if you're in the room or not, if you think that's a positive thing. Create silos. That's a word I'm actually quoting Jeff Carlton. There's a lot of silos being built, but mm. if we as a community, we've always been really good at trying to keep that community. And that that's always been my, my I think the challenge to the younger generations and the writers out there and the artists is to really, I get it. I think financially we've all been driven to like, if you have something good, you try to protect that. Sure. And it's it's only a natural thing. I right. totally, completely understand. I've uh, been on both sides of those fences. And uh, having started my company seven years ago, trying to get back in with all developing young writers, it's been a bit of a challenge, but yeah. it can be done. 
Absolutely. And, and yeah. It, but uh, yeah, because you know, money, as you said, it, it's a lot harder to to make it off sales. And I would go in. I'm also optimistic that these changes are going to be good on streaming. And and I think, as I've had some conversations with some of my publishing friends, if we can get get the country market as a whole to stream more, that's the one side. Like yeah. we're not at the level. I think we will you. be. We have more audience that's not on these services yet. Absolutely. When that finally happens, I think that's a big help. And I think people fear that as records, like you know, CDs are disappearing completely out of stores. I'm actually one of those people because I grew up. I mean, for years, and I mean, probably until the last year, every time I would have a song on an album, I would go to Target and buy the album every time. It was like a ritual. It was something I enjoyed doing and looking forward to doing. And that's just not happening now. You know, like sometimes they don't even. You get like a song on an EP of a new artist, they don't even put out a physical release of it. You know, and so it's just I, I look. I'm one of those people clutching it, going, "Don't take this away from me." But at the same time, you you can't just deny it and go, "I don't want that to happen." Well, it's irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like it's it's going to happen. So I think we have to just embrace it. And again, like like you said, with positive energy, you just have to face it and think this is the way it is. Thanks for listening to the Nashville AIMP Pubcast. For more information, check out AIMP.org or follow us at Nashville AIMP on Instagram. The Nashville AIMP would like to give a shout out to our sponsors, SoundExchange and Jamber. SoundExchange develops business solutions for the entire music industry. They collect and distribute royalties on behalf of more than 155,000 recording artists, master right owners, and music publishers. SoundExchange have paid out more than $5 billion in royalties. SXWorks serves the licensing and administration needs of music publishers around the world and operates CMRRA, which represents music publishers and administers mechanical rights for the majority of songs recorded, sold, and broadcast in Canada. Jamber wants to know if you're looking for an easier way to capture song splits at the point of creation and organizing your catalog. Jamber is our podcast sponsor, and they are offering listeners a first look at their songwriter and publisher apps that allow songwriters to collaborate when inspiration strikes. Go to jamber.com forward slash AIMP to sign up today. We appreciate you listening to the Nashville Pubcast. Stay tuned for an all-new episode next week.